Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Rana Adib, who is Executive Secretary of REN21. We will discuss sustainable energy. Previously, Rana was REN21's research coordinator, developing the international expert community and leading the REN21 Renewables Global Status Report series to become an international reference. Prior to REN21, Rana worked in private industry and applied research in the areas of renewable energy, energy access, and waste management. She has over 20 years of experience in the energy sector. Rana, welcome. Thank you very much for this introduction. What do we mean when we say sustainable energy? It sounds like everybody knows what that is, but it's not so easy to put your finger on what do we mean when we say sustainable energy? Is it just something that isn't a fossil fuel? Is it something that isn't coal? What are we talking about? So sustainable energy from renting one side, um, what we're talking about is uh, basically two pillars, I guess, one which is energy efficiency and the other one which is renewable energy. Now, why do we consider that efficiency and renewables um, is sustainable? This is with regard to the fact that, um, A, these are um, basically energies which um, have – real opportunities for social benefits, for economic developments, but also have very clearly, and this is important in a time of uh, where climate change is very present in our discussions, um, lower environmental impacts than fossil fuel or nuclear energy. Would you give us some examples? What are examples of sustainable energy types? So sustainable energy types can, for instance, be um, very clearly when we are looking into the power sector, um, solar photovoltaics, uh, wind, uh, biomass power. When we are looking more into the heating sector, we also have solar thermal, um, geothermal energy. Um, so there are a lot of varieties of renewable energy technologies which allow to produce um, power, heat, cooling, and also fuels for transport. When we're looking into the efficiency part, it's basically all technologies and concepts which allow to reduce the energy demand. Wow, okay. So let's go back to the different kinds that you described at the beginning. Photovoltaic, is that batteries? Solar photovoltaics are basically um, cells. It's uh, solar cells, and uh, which are plugged together to produce to uh, to solar modules, so-called solar modules, which allow to transform the sunlight into electricity. This is solar photovoltaics. So, is that what most of us think about? When we think of solar power, is that the, yes. the the stuff that they put outside, panels and panels, rows of these panels that are absorbing solar heat? 
um, yes, these are the panels we see outside, but they are not absorbing solar heat, but they are really transforming the um, sunlight into electricity. There is also solar thermal applications, which will rather transform the sunlight into heat or also into cooling. So this is the solar thermal part. That's solar thermal is when it's taking the solar light and transforming it into heat? Yes. So this is, uh, for instance, uh, what you can find on houses uh, to produce uh, hot water, but you can also find it in uh, commercial applications for and, and even in industrial applications where they can provide um, low temperature or medium temperature heat for for to cover basically heat demands, for instance. And then what is geothermal? Geothermal is um, basically using the um, energy within the um, within the um, earth. Um, so it is heat which is used, which is underground, and which can either be used to pro to provide basically heating. Um, it can be transformed to cooling also, but it can also be used to um, produce electricity, either in turbines or um, very often today it is used in conjunction with heat pumps, which allow to transform this low temperature heat into electricity. And you also talked about wind sources. Yes. What about water? So... Um, Maybe on the wind part, uh, there are onshore uh, wind generation, and today, or since a couple of years, um, we do see uh, major developments also in offshore wind. So this is a wind which is uh, positioned basically not on the land but in the sea. Um, when it comes to water, there is uh, this is clearly one of uh, the more more conventional renewable energy technologies. So hydroelectricity. Um, but we also have ocean energy, which can produce, in addition, uh, electricity, too. A lot of people, especially lately, seem convinced that these types of energy are not practical, that we really need to focus on fossil fuels and coal because these alternative sources of energy that we've been discussing are too expensive. What would you say to that argument? To that argument, I would say that um, the numbers we're pulling together in the Renewables Global States report actually show the contrary, in particular in the power sector. When we're looking today at generation costs, um, the costs um, building on solar PV and on wind are um, almost everywhere worldwide the least cost options. And we even have examples uh, like um, the last auctions in Brazil, which was uh, basically where there was a call for tenders for um, power generation capacities which was technology neutral, um, which means like um, fossil fuel, nuclear, but also renewable energy technologies were were options which uh, could apply. And the, the types of projects which won the bids were solar PV projects and wind. wind. 
Um, another example is also that when we're looking into the added net generation capacity, so basically all renewable power capacities which have been installed as new generation capacities in 2018, Almost 60% of these are building on renewable energy because um, it is indeed the least cost solution. Why is it that, for example, in a state like Florida in the United States, that is dubbed the sunshine state, it is exorbitantly expensive to heat or cool depending on the season, but basically to run a house using solar energy, it takes, I think the last time I looked at the data, about 20 plus years for the average home that buys the solar panels to offset the cost of the panels against what it would have cost with a regular system, with a conventional system. So there are two reasons to this. Uh, one is indeed that when we're looking into the heating sector and into transport, um, today um, renewable energy technologies are not always the least cost option um, because they're for, for different reasons. Um, so in the power market, uh, the situation is quite different. Um, because for long years there was a lot of uh, support which really allowed uh, for clear technology innovation, industrial development, market development, which really allowed to reduce the cost significantly in uh, when we're looking at renewable power. That's one aspect. The other aspect, however, is that today, um, and from our side, uh, unfortunately, I'd say, there is uh, still significant fossil fuel subsidies out there. In um, 2018, 115 countries were subsidizing fossil fuels. So the, the reality is also that um, fossil fuels are still subsidized in many countries. 115 countries are still subsidizing fossil fuels, and this is a total amount of uh, 4 billion U.S. dollars. And um, as a result... The, even though renewable energy might have lower cost, they are in competition with fossil fuel solutions, which are um, highly subsidized, so which are driving down the price, um, the price uh, in an artificial way. If I understand correctly, there is a fossil fuel subsidy that is causing the price of electricity to be lower than it would be otherwise, for example, in the Florida scenario that I described. Without that subsidy, you believe that the cost of the photovoltaic, the solar cell fuel, would be closer to reality? Am I understanding correctly? So um, the... The reality is uh, that when we're looking at the overall cost, um, indeed, cost-wise, uh, renewable energy technology might be lower, um, but they need to compete with fossil fuel solutions, um, which are subsidized uh, by many countries. Um, in 2018, 
basically uh, these subsidies amounted to 400 billion US dollars and uh, this was an increase of over 30% compared to 2017 and what happens here is this leads to basically a price um, which is lowered artificially for the end consumer which means that uh, in such a reality when we're speaking of market competition um, very clearly very often the end consumer will look into what the different solutions um, cost to this end consumer and um, in the end the end consumer is paying, paying a price which is subsidized and uh, this indeed means that uh, some of the solutions which are, when we're only looking at the cost technologically uh, or uh, competitive, cost competitive, they are not because they do not, they are not being compared to the real cost of fossil fuel solutions or nuclear energy, but to a price which is supported with government uh, aid. So reduced with government aid. What would the scenario look like? What would the situation be like if these subsidies were eliminated and we were looking, in the example that I stated earlier, at solar power in an environment where the fossil fuels were not being subsidized? How much closer to what we face now would that cost be? So and when we're looking into solar power, uh, very clearly uh, you would not see any fossil fuel-based uh, power capacities being built because um, solar photovoltaics and wind are the least cost options today already. In the heating sector, um, it really depends very much on the area. It depends on the resources available. Um, it depends on the technologies. But also here very often um, renewable energy can be cost competitive. So um, it also means, however, that the energy price um, the end consumer would pay would probably be higher, not because the cost of renewable energy is higher, but just because the subsidies for the energy prices are being removed. Now, you mentioned sustainable energy and renewable energy. How are they different? So um, renewable energy is uh, basically the renewable energy technologies are technologies which are building, transforming um, natural resources, uh, which can be continuously renewed. So there is no rare material uh, like we'll have with fossil fuel or uranium and um, can be used to produce, so to generate energy. Um, sustainable energy is really a broader concept of uh, speaking of an energy system which is um, sustainable when we're looking into the social and environmental impacts. And what would be a broader example of sustainable energy? So a broader example of sustainable energy is, for instance, um, energy system, which is highly efficient, which is building on renewable energy, and is also integrated in, I guess, a society in a way that um, 
it is uh, decentralized and many players will take advantage of uh, this energy generated, but also of the benefits and also economic benefits generated. So this is clearly something where we do see that uh, renewable energy has many advantages because you can have a very distributed generation compared to, for instance, fossil fuel and uh, nuclear energy, which are uh, very centralized generation. So when we're looking into renewable energy, there are, for instance, many community energy projects which will allow that uh, um, basically citizens can get engaged into energy generation and also take advantage of this, which is quite different when we're looking into, for instance, coal-fired power plants, nuclear plants or gas plants. I'm still trying to get my arms around the difference between sustainable and renewable. Isn't something that is renewable automatically sustainable? Um, yes and no, because you can have, obviously, when you're looking, so renewable energy um, is more sustainable than some uh, other energies because they are they are um, building on on, I guess, a resource, which is the sun, which is the wind, which is uh, the heat in the earth, which can be renewed continuously. So here we have a sustainability with regard to the generation. Now, when it comes to the development of renewable energy projects, um, there are obviously examples uh, where renewable energy projects uh, are implemented in a positive and also negative way. So when we're looking, for instance, into biomass and biofuels, um, which is very often there is many discussions about uh, the use of land for food versus energy, um, which can be a topic in developing countries in particular. Here, it is also important, regardless whether it is renewable energy project or fossil fuel-based project, to have very clear sustainability criteria on the development of projects. So, Yes, renewable energy is more sustainable when it comes to the source we are using. Um, however, for developing uh, renewable energy projects, it is also important to ensure that these are implemented in a way that uh, they have the least negative impacts uh, in terms of social and environmental impacts. Well, that makes me think of, for example, the controversy around the wind farms and the effects that have been named in relation to, for example, birds, uh, that many birds have been dying because they have been hitting the... Uh, Blades. The, yes, thank you. Uh, would you tell us about that? So, um, indeed, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not an expert on, uh, on the uh, wind blade bird uh, impact. It is very clear that whatever, I guess, uh, when we're looking at the natural ecosystem, whatever as a human being we're doing will have an impact on or can have an impact on, uh, on, uh, on the nature. And uh, with regard to this, it is um, so... I, I don't have the statistics on on, on the impact of uh, wind on birds. Um, it is very clear, however, that uh, it is important to to really see where the different renewable energy projects are being uh, 
located. Now, what is clear, however, and we really see um, that there is a big question on what is the sustainability of uh, what is the sustainability of renewable energy, what is the sustainability of energy efficiency, but that we need to have a clear uh, discussion also on the sustainability of fossil fuel and nuclear energy, and um, that when it comes to the question of building energy systems, we need to find um, obviously solutions which allow us to uh, consume the least energy we need to consume. So this is where efficiency comes in with the most sustainable way. So it is very clear that um, – so I, I take the example of biomass. Um, there is no way to, uh, to produce biomass in areas which are protected. Um, environmentally protected. Uh, that is uh, that is something which is fundamental. So this is also where we see that uh, regulator frameworks are key in driving this transition from a fossil fuel nuclear-based energy to a renewable-based energy in a way that um, it is the most sustainable possible. What about situations where there is damming going on, so someone is damming the water for hydroelectric energy, and it is having a profound impact on other people who used to have access to that water that has now been contained. What can you tell us about that from a sustainable energy perspective? Very clearly, this is also uh, one of the, when we're looking into the different renewable energy technologies, we do see that uh, sustainability is uh, a topic which is um, very often brought up in the context of biomass and of hydropower. And um, it's very clear, con considering the socioeconomic benefits, uh, sorry, socioeconomic impacts, um, hydropower in terms of dams can can have. There are clear uh, regulations um, on how to how to handle basically water resources. Uh, these are part of uh, it's basically a geopolitical uh, a geopolitical topic and uh, is um, managed by international uh, policies. That's one aspect when we're talking about cross border. Um, um, when it comes to the development of hydropower uh, projects, this is very clear that uh, the industry, uh, the hydropower industry today, takes into account the socioeconomic and, oh, sorry, the socio social and environmental impacts of their projects in a different way and are continuously working on developing sustainability criteria uh, to which um, the hydropower industry agrees. Um, I feel that regardless what, uh, as I said, regardless what we are doing as human beings, uh, in in whether we're talking about uh, the energy systems and energy production or also other industrial processes, infrastructure, etc., it does have impacts, uh, social and environmental impacts, and it is important to create for whatever we are doing uh, regulated frameworks which allow to really. Uh, protect, um, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, populations uh, who might depend on the water resources, uh, when we're talking about resettlement, uh, when we're talking about uh, environmental impacts, and here uh, policy and regulatory frameworks have a key role to play. Where does 
if anywhere, deforestation, for example, come into the equation. So we have areas of the planet that still are untouched or partly untouched that corporations want to farm for their purposes. And environmentalists are saying, no, these are essential for the survival of the planet because they're cleansing the air, etc. Where is that place where renewable and sustainable energy reside and where resources remain untouched? Is there a dividing line in this discussion? I would not say that there is a dividing line per se, uh, because uh, and also it it needs to be clarified that deforestation does not happen uh, mainly and only because of renewable energy, but very often for very different reasons, whether it is agricultural development, uh, whether it is um, yeah, the use of the of uh, the biomass uh, for material reasons, um, etc. Um, in general, deforestation is happening in um, the countries which do actually not have um, a regulatory framework which is prohibiting uh, unsustainable deforestation. That's one aspect. Or also countries where clearly, even though there is a regulation, um, some interest groups might not respect this regulation. So again, we see that... Um, policies and regulated frameworks, um, international and national engagements are key in protecting the environment. Is there a set of guidelines that responsible ethical individuals and companies can agree to that measures and observes and studies the impacts of these different types of energies as we've been discussing wind energy and its effect on birds, the hydroelectric energy, now the use of water in the oceans as a source of energy and what potential impacts that will have and so on and so forth. Are there guidelines that have been established for these companies to follow, to sign up for, etc. So I'm 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 sorry I don't have the view on uh, international guidelines here because this is uh, this is uh, probably not uh, not the area where we're researching the most um, uh, the sustainability aspects. Or so far we have not been researching this the most sustainability aspects of renewable energy. In general, um, the approach which is uh, which is taken when it comes to the assessment of sustainability um, is uh, to have a life cycle assessment. Um, and this is something, as I said, which is not only applicable for energy and the renewable energy technologies, but which can be applied and is being applied to any um, activities. Um, so this is one approach which can really... Uh, do some assessment which goes beyond uh, just, for instance, carbon emissions. Um, there is very clearly from the renewable energy um, industry side that there are sectors where sustainability aspects are, are critical and are also critical in terms, as I said, like social and environmental um, impacts, but also 
critical when it comes to acceptance, public acceptance of renewable energy technologies. These industries are uh, clearly developing sustainability standards. So I mentioned the hydropower sector where uh, the industry is working also together with governments to, and uh, they have, so when here you can find more information, the International Hydropower Association uh, has a lot of work on uh, sustainability criteria in hydropower. Um, there is a global program on bioenergy, um, which is looking specifically into sustainability criteria and has developed a set of uh, sustainability criteria for biomass. Um, because this is very clear, biomass uh, will play um, an important role when it comes to a transition towards uh, renewable energy or the energy transition away from fossil fuel nuclear to something more sustainable. Um, but here it is very clear that sustainability criteria are important uh, to avoid actually um, the overuse, I guess, of the biomass resources. Tell us, if you would, so when you say biofuels, are we talking about fuels that are sourced from biological sources, such as corn and soybeans? So biomass can be very – so uh, when I'm talking about biomass energy, um, this can be uh, – biomass is any organic matter. So we have uh, lots of varieties here. Uh, you can have a biomass in terms of wood. It can be biomass, as you mentioned, like corn and soybean. In this case, we're talking about specific um, planted biomass. But we also speak about biomass, which is, for instance, contained in different uh, waste streams, whether it comes from um, the agricultural sector, uh, food processing, uh, pulp and paper industry, um, but also municipal solid waste or um, wastewater when we're looking into, for instance, cities, where um, we do see that there is a major potential to transform this waste into energy. Sort of uh, the recyclables? No, these are not the recyclables, uh, but these are rather when we're looking into the waste sector, for instance, where there is uh, clearly a hierarchy. The first one is avoiding waste. The other one is reusing uh, different waste streams. So this is where we are coming into the recycling part. And the third step is um, if you cannot reuse it, um, then transform the waste into into energy. So this is, for instance, um, municipal solid waste. So if you have organic waste, uh, some cities are collecting organic waste separately um, to produce, for instance, biogas, uh, which can then be used to produce heat, power, but also, for instance, be treated in a way that you can then inject it into natural gas grids and use it, for instance, in natural gas vehicles, so buses, uh, waste trucks, etc. How efficient, if we look at the, if we step back and look at the industry or industries from a big picture perspective, how efficient is renewable energy and sustainable energy at this point in time? So um, to be honest, it's uh, it's it depends very much on the technologies, but uh, in a state where um, basically we do not have another choice 
considering climate change, uh, to move away from fossil fuel and nuclear. Um, I'm not sure it's the best question to ask how efficient renewable energy is compared to these solutions, because we do see that, uh, for instance, um, uh, when we're looking into some of the fossil fuel uh, transformation processes to produce uh, um, diesel, for instance, natural gas, uh, hydrogen, etc., uh, we do not always apply an efficiency um, or an efficiency assessment uh, to these solutions just because uh, the energy system and the economic system do require energy to fuel basically um, the electricity generation, heat generation, uh, transportation. Um, here the question uh, which I feel is, uh, is much more important to pose is what or why do we need to move to renewable energy and efficiency to sustainable way? And this is just because um, science just shows today, science and also uh, real evidence um, of climate impact, that uh, we um, do not have a lot of time left to move away from a fossil fuel industry, which has a major impact uh, in terms of CO2 emissions, so carbon emissions, and creates uh, climate change. It's driving climate change and creates uh, major negative impacts, uh, climate change impacts. So here, renewable energy is just fundamental, uh, is a fundamental solution, and it's a solution which is today already very often cost-competitive, technologically available and mature, is basically the answer to maintain an energy system and um, move away from fossil fuel and establish a system which is much more sustainable and which is not contributing uh, to CO2 emissions, not producing CO2 emissions. That's one aspect. So we are basically reducing CO2 emissions which are produced by energy generation. The other aspect is also that we are building up an energy system which is much more resilient to climate change impacts. And uh, so, for instance, the U.S. military is moving to renewable energy um, because of the resilience of their energy systems. So for energy security reasons, because renewable energy can be distributed, because renewable energy uh, can rely on different resources, and because renewable energy does not rely on fuels which are being imported from uh, certain countries, for instance, um, but can be produced locally with local resources. So while Earth stewards are very keen to pursue sustainable energy options and leave nuclear and fossil fuels behind, that transition has become challenging even when the population appears to agree with the concept. When these policies are implemented with specific effects on the population, we are seeing riots. Certainly we're seeing riots in Europe, many people objecting to taxes that would lead to greater fuel efficiency and renewable energy practices in the future. And hopefully you'll tell us a little bit more about that. But so many people are behind the idea 
of we need to get away from these practices, but when you apply it in a very real way that impacts them, then they're not in so much agreement. How do we how do we look at this? Tell us a little bit about the situation as you see it in uh, Europe, as you're closer than I am to the situation. And um, then if you would tell us, how do we deal with that? So um, very clearly, um, we're in a we're I guess in an economy and an energy system um, which has been built since a hundred a hundred year a bit more uh, around fossil fuel, which also means that uh, an industry has been created around this. Obviously, jobs have been created around it, and this is the norm we're facing, and this is also the norm which exists in terms of. Um, population support. Now, we do have, obviously, countries uh, where in Germany it was a population who has really uh, put a lot of pressure because of the risk which are linked to nuclear to create pressure on the government to um, phase out uh, nuclear energy. Um, these are probably globally um, rather the exceptions. Um, the reality is that the transition from a fossil fuel-based economy, a nuclear-based economy, to a new um, energy system also means a transformation of, uh, of industries, of jobs, of uh, social or of economic activities in, uh, in the regions. And this is something which uh, needs a strong dialogue between, uh, between policymakers and uh, between policymakers and the population, between policymakers and the industries, between policymakers and trade unions. Um, that's clearly something where governments uh, can improve a lot. We do see that there are some examples, uh, for instance, where when we're talking about a just transition, this is a topic which is uh, mentioned very often. We do see that there are some examples in regions and countries where the just transition is also reflected, for instance, in a way how the income uh, links, for instance, to renewable energy is being redistributed to populations or to uh, regions which are structurally um, more affected by the transition than others. This can be one example. We have, for instance, the example of Costa Rica, where um, they had already quite a high share of uh, renewable electricity because they do have a lot of hydropower. Um, the government has worked very much together with NGOs to raise the awareness about what it means to be renewable and uh, the uh, independence it also means for the countries from um, oil imports, for instance, and they have reached 100% renewable electricity. And building on this success, basically, it became kind of, a, a, I guess, a national identity also to be 100% renewable electricity. They have really worked together with the populations to also make the move um, of the renewable energy transition into the transport sector to phase out fossil fuel, to remove fossil uh, so the normal combustion engine cars, and to move uh, to e-mobility. So there are really interesting examples where which show that either there can be policy, there can be subsidy mechanism, uh, structural programs, um, which can allow to 
to make this transition smoother um, and to really also engage the population and citizens um, into the transition. The other part is very clearly awareness raising, which is very important. And here again, what is also important is to have a clear vision of governance to um, make this transition work by building up industries. So this also means investment, uh, building up uh, national, uh, local value creation, so economic activities linked to renewable energy, for instance, um, offering structural programs on building up skill sets and technicians who can, uh, for instance, isolate uh, the houses and buildings, um, develop, install solar thermal, geothermal, heat pumps, etc., and really show the opportunities uh, renewable energy can also um, offer in terms of socioeconomic developments. In 2018, the renewable sector employed 11, um, sorry, 11, Um, 11 million people uh, throughout the different renewable energy technologies. This is only the renewable energy sector, but when we're looking, for instance, in many developing countries where the um, access to energy is uh, still not uh, guaranteed for a large part of the population, um, here renewable energy is basically the opportunity to have access to electricity and start economic activities. So there are always uh, possibilities to also make this transition um, transition in a way that it also has the support of the population. Clearly, um, policymakers' ambition, I think, uh, clear guidance and uh, vision is fundamental. Some people argue that renewable energy is a luxury that only wealthy countries and their wealthy populations can afford the luxury of these technologies, can afford the luxury of phasing out nuclear and fossil fuel energy sources, and that the rest of the population just can't pay the difference. There are people saying that they don't have enough money to make ends meet if they are taxed at a higher rate in order to pay for this transition. What would you say to that? I just think that it's, uh, it is, uh, I, I'd say to some extent it is unfair to say, considering the fact that um, the players here and uh, decision makers here are comparing the real costs, I guess, of renewable energy technologies with a price of fossil fuel which is subsidized. So they are not comparing the cost. Um, I, I come back to the fossil fuel subsidies because I feel it is something which is really fundamental. 115 countries subsidizing fossil fuels in 2018. Four um, billion US dollars. According to the International Monetary Fund, when we integrate the external costs, so all costs which are social and economic, social and environmental costs of fossil fuel and nuclear into um, the real cost, basically, of these technologies, the subsidies, and here's the assessment of the International Monetary Fund, are assessed of being of 5 trillion U.S. dollars per year. 
So it is just a reality that today in many countries we're comparing the real cost of renewable energy to an end use cost which is subsidized. So we're comparing it to the price and not to the real cost. Now, when we're talking about developing countries, um, on the country, we do see that indeed, um, when we're talking about off-grid renewable um, technologies, um, today, these are very often, the, um, again, the least cost and also the quickest way of um, of uh, offering access to electricity for developing countries. So when we're looking, for instance, in into um, coal-fired power plants, project development times can go from, let's say, five to eight years, whereas uh, when we're looking into mini-grids or solar home systems, uh, which are off-grid and more decentralized solutions, we're talking about times which can go from a couple of days to um, one and a half years. So here, when we're talking about the populations in developing countries which do not yet have access to electricity, very clearly renewable energy technologies is um, not only um, more or less an economic solution, but it's rather very often the only solution to have access to electricity on a short term. If I'm hearing you correctly, the issue is one of policy. In other words, these policies are allowing these subsidies to affect the markets in a profound way. So how do you transition all of these countries that you're talking about? I think you said 115 countries that are receiving fossil fuel subsidies. How do you transition in those countries from their current sources of fuel to more renewable and sustainable energy sources? So here very clearly, um, this is again, uh, I, I think there are different drivers. Uh, policy uh, decisions is uh, clearly a key driver. Um, it is important that uh, policymakers give a very strong signal um, where the country is heading in terms of the strategy. So this is, for instance, developing renewable energy targets. Um, and here in the power sector, we do see that uh, that there is actually uh, many countries, um, I think there is already 170 countries, if I'm not mistaken, that have uh, 162 countries have renewable power targets. And of these, we do have many countries which uh, already aim for 100% renewable energy, even on a short term. So this is something which is very important. So where are we heading? What is the direction? Then it comes to the fact that um, to really, if you want the transition to happen, obviously this means like that you also need to attract investment and uh, industrial interest. Um, to make this happen, it is important to create stable policy frameworks um, which really allow investors to trust these frameworks and uh, start investing into renewable energy. That's one aspect. Um, now, when we are looking, and this is really something which is which is happening, uh, I, I'd say like a renewable energy um, support mechanism uh, per se. Here, another aspect is also the regulator frameworks, which will allow renewable energy to have access to the energy markets, uh, to have, for instance, independent power producers being able to generate renewable energy-based electricity, but also to trade and to sell 
uh, and distribute this electricity. So that's another aspect. But also when we're looking into administrative rules of, um, for instance, processing uh, permits, uh, licensing, etc., to make these processes smooth so that the renewable energy sector can develop. When we see the development of renewable energy in a country, and as you mentioned, um, many countries where um, these renewable energy is competing with um, partly subsidized uh, fossil fuel solutions. Here, it is important, and I think uh, today the majority of renewable energy and also renewable-based markets leads us into the direction that we speak and we see more and more governments talking about the questions of how to really transform these fossil fuels into, so phasing out fossil fuel subsidies to um, support, create the market conditions in a way that renewable energy can compete, or to also phase them out, transform them in a way that uh, renewable energy activities, for instance, in heating, cooling, and transport, which are today still areas where um, more broader support is needed, um, can be developed just to address energy security, to address climate change, um, but also clearly sustainable development, in particular in developing countries. So building up um, opportunities for job creation. Um, and that's a real – so I, I would say since it is a new transition, we do not always have all answers yet. So uh, Ireland, for instance, has – the government of Ireland has decided to phase out fossil fuel completely. Um, there are – this is something which is building very much on uh, the development of energy efficiency and renewable energy as answers. Um, it is also building, I guess, on um, – on the continuous, the last couple of years have shown how much technology developments, how much digitalization can also drive, for instance, uh, renewable energy uptake. So today there are high shares of uh, so-called variable renewable electricity, which are integrated and managed into the electricity grid, um, electric grids. So we also see that uh, uh, some, I guess, the maturity in thinking what renewable energy can deliver is evolving. So um, here Ireland clearly builds it on solutions which are already there. But when you're moving to higher and higher shares, there will also be um, questions which will need to be answered along, along this uh, transformative process. Um, what is fundamental is that governments do work together, um, so national governments with subnational governments who can really drive the transition very actively. We often see that subnational governments or cities might even be more ambitious when it comes to the energy transition, but also work very closely with the industry and involve the citizens in this transition. What kind of a timeline? are you referring to in this transition? So when we're looking into the IPCC report, which was published, I think, in October last year, they announced that we had 12 years to um, make uh, the shift back to, um, to reduce uh, climate change impact and the heating to 1.5%, which already has a major impact in terms of sea levels, in terms of, uh, of weather um, 
how to say this in English, weather, hurricanes, etc., weather impacts. Uh, um, and uh, so here we have 12 years and we have until 2020 to make this fundamental shift. So when we're, when, if we're serious about what uh, scientists, and these are not only niche scientists, but uh, I think there is scientifically there is uh, an agreement on the fact that climate change is a reality and it's probably even going quicker than what the assessments show, um, then we do not have a lot of time. So this is also why it is really fundamental that governments um, move and set the policy, basically targets, goals, um, and the policy and regulatory frameworks to accelerate the electricity transition, but also uh, transform this electricity transition into an energy transition. So make sure that renewable energy becomes uh, the conventional energy, so linked with energy efficiency, in um, all sectors which are consuming energy. So um, here, clearly, the um, building sector, so everything which is constructions, the industrial sector in particular, and transport, because these sectors represent over 80% of the global final energy demand. Say that again, Rana. Which sectors, construction, and which one? So construction, industries, and transports represent uh, their energy consumption represents over 80% of uh, the global total final energy consumption. So these sectors are very important in terms of energy consumption. And the, um, I guess, renewable energy revolution we observe in a very successful way in the power sector does not yet happen in these sectors um, because here we only have a renewable energy share and transfer of 3% and in um, heating and cooling of 10%. And this is mainly um, explained by the fact that A, these sectors do not have the same uh, policy attention or did not have the same policy attention uh, over the last uh, year. So this is also underpinning the fact that policy and regulatory frameworks are really key in driving the transition. That's one aspect. And the other aspect is that these sectors rely heavily on fossil fuel um, and that, for instance, aviation and shipping are, for instance, not covered in the uh, Paris Agreement. Um, so there is also not the same uh, the same obligation, I guess, to uh, to uh, reduce carbon emissions in these sectors. Um, so here it's very clear that uh, it is need to make the shift now because otherwise. Um, it just shows that uh, climate change is not taken seriously by uh, policymakers. And we see, for instance, and I think these are real indications, we do see that over a thousand organizations worldwide um, have committed to divest from fossil fuel because they are aware of the social and environmental impacts of fossil fuel. And this is not only linked to climate change, but it's also linked to air pollution. It is also linked to the fact um, that um, we have uh, health impacts um, in many regions, and um, that is something which is uh, really fundamental to take into account. So when we see that, for instance, uh, these organizations, which represent 20% of the um, assets, um, 
so investments, um, are phasing out fossil fuel. This is also this also means that um, it will become more and more complicated to attract investment into highly risky sectors, which are uh, fossil fuel and nuclear. How does the increasing urbanization of the world come into play with this transition? Is it significant? So the urbanization is something which is important to take into account when we are uh, looking at the transition, obviously, because when we're looking into urban centers, uh, when it comes to when it comes to uh, producing uh, the energy locally, um, there is a, a space question in many cities. Um, so here it is very clear. So, so this is one question, and it also leads to a technology innovation. So when we're looking, for instance, in, uh, into solar photovoltaics, we do see that there is more and more the development of building integrated PV because this is something, this is one of the answers uh, for urban centers. We also see that, uh, for instance, in and we are holding a conference uh, in October together with the government of Korea and the um, um, government of the city of Seoul. Um, here, where there are space questions, uh, we see that there is a development, for instance, of uh, new technologies which are offshore wind and floating solar photovoltaics as an answer also to these space questions. There is, however, a major opportunity in cities. And this is the fact that, A, the governments and cities are very close to citizens, and uh, involving the citizens in the transition uh, is fundamental, so um, will be taken care of in a very different way. That's one aspect. The other one is that cities uh, can be very can drive a better integration of the different end use sectors, so from electricity, overheating, cooling, and transport, in a different way because uh, on a small space, um, so the city level space, there are. Um, major opportunities for a good integration. So I take the example of electric vehicles, um, which uh, are clearly the trend we observe um, when we're talking about urban transport, in particular in city areas. Um, here, this offers possibility to use, for instance, the storage in electric vehicles um, and to offer um, a flexibility into the electricity grids to balance basically the production of electricity coming from solar photovoltaics or from wind. Because basically wind is produced uh, when uh, when the wind is blowing, uh, solar is being produced uh, or a solar PV based electricity is being produced when the sun is shining. And uh, the storage you have in the cars can allow to, so the batteries in the cars can allow to to bring uh, some balancing. Today, very clearly, um, it's also better data, digitalization, forecasting that allow to have already countries which have a handle of up to 60% of such variable renewable electricity. But this sectoral integration, so really bringing the different energy sectors, uh, electricity, heating, cooling, and transfer together, brings a flexibility in the overall energy system. So cities can be a key driver here. 
What suggestions would you give to our listeners who want to better understand these issues in relation to how they affect them at a personal level, but also, of course, at a business level, because we're talking about a transition that is bound to have profound impacts on everyone across the board. So I think one one clearly coming from Rent to Run is uh, the first one is I really invite uh, invite the listeners to have a look at the Renewables Global Status Report where we're tracking since 2005 every year the development of renewable energy worldwide. And this was really to uh, already make renewable energy visible because they were not visible very often in energy statistics. Uh, because they were not captured as they were very decentralized. But we we knew from uh, project developers, from industries, from NGOs, that much was happening. So I think to really have a good idea of what is already happening worldwide, and there are really, really good examples, which also show the benefits renewable energy can present, so I'm inviting uh, I'm inviting uh, the listeners to to have a look at uh, at our website. Um, since we just spoke about cities, um, we are also um, producing a new report series on renewable energy in cities global status report because cities are key drivers uh, in the transition and uh, can also drive renewable energy uptake in a very different way. So when we're talking, for instance, about the heat market, this is very local markets, um, and uh, cities play a key role here. So that's one aspect. Um, when it comes to, um, in terms of renewable energy industry development, what does this mean for the different energy sectors? So industrial, uh, so investment trends. Uh, UN Environment, together with Bloomberg New Energy Finance, is um, producing annually the Global Trends Report on Renewable Energy Investments. So this is really uh, to show also, and this is, for instance, illustrating uh, the impact of divestment strategies of major investors uh, on renewable energy and efficiency uptake. Um, when it comes to uh, more, I, I guess, energy uh, guidance, broader energy guidance, modeling scenarios, the International Renewable Energy Agency as well as the International Energy Agency can give uh, some uh, have much uh, much analytical work which is there. And uh, when it comes to the question, what can uh, anybody do basically to make the transition happen. Here uh, we do see that uh, there are major um, non-governmental organizations, um, uh, networks uh, which can provide lots of information how to drive the energy transition. Um, so I'm, there is a big network, for instance, the uh, Climate Action Network, which is bringing together, I think, something like 1,400 NGOs worldwide working together to uh, combat climate change. And here you will have uh, many information. The other aspect is very clearly also industry associations uh, in the renewable energy sector, which are um, giving information on the different uh, renewable energy technologies, what can be done but also accompany um, the energy consumers in uh, in making the right choices in terms of uh, energy sources. Rana, thank you for joining us from Paris, France. Thank you very much. 
And to our audience, you have been listening to Rana Adib, who is Executive Secretary of REN21, who discussed sustainable energy. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.